the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hour 3 at 7.06 with Randy Corcoran. Phone number here, 303-696-1971, 696-1971. The one and only rock star, Harmie Dillon, up next, not next, but up in a few minutes, up this hour during the final hour of the show. She was the second place vote getter for the in the battle to become the RNC chair, run the GOP for the next two years. She had 51 votes. Mike Lindell had four. Lee Zeldin had one. Ronna McDaniel pretty well cleaned up with 111 votes. And she had announced when she decided to run again that she thought she had the support of the RNC. She said she had about 101 votes that were uh, locked down for her. And uh, if that was her starting number, she increased her support over time. But uh, but I think great points were made. Great conversations were had. Pressure was placed. People were heard. And that will make a difference. You don't get what you want every time. You don't change uh, a trajectory or overthrow entrenched leadership overnight. But we made a dent. Young people showed up. Charlie Kirk, Turning Point USA, showed up in force. And, uh, and the people are not happy about it. I I didn't realize that I was not uh, seeing text messages, and I flipped over to the screen and saw a whole bunch of communications from you guys. And uh, so let me just see if there's any here that I can respond to. Yeah, you're Steve, you're so welcome, and thanks for listening. Geez, virtually all the time from Littleton. I really do appreciate it. Randy, check out Tig Tigan on Twitter. He has an event in Colorado Springs on Thursday regarding the mayor's race. Did you know that Tig is running for mayor? He is, and uh, and that is pretty darn cool. So we will, I will pull up his uh, his Twitter feed and see what he's got to say. Want to make sure you know about that. I think next Saturday, no, it's a week from Saturday. Are the leadership races in Douglas County for the Douglas County Republican Party. So that's pretty darn cool. The uh, uh, Actually, one of my opponents in the Republican National Committee race, Andy Jones, super patriot, uh, former Air Force, I think, commercial airline pilot, uh, excellent, strong conservative. In fact, I thought that he and I would split the conservative vote and it would allow Eli Bremer or Bill Cadman to slip into the committee man position. And fortunately, that didn't happen. I, I slaughtered the establishment guys by with about 45% of the vote in a five-man race. And, um, I, you know, people keep asking me now, are you going to run again? That, that came up a lot at the uh, RNC. I just don't know. I, I'm going to see just how things go this year. And uh, how I feel and what's going on with family and, and now growing into young boy grandkids and uh, all of those demands on time. And we shall see. But uh, 
Uh, yeah, Tig Tigan is running for mayor. It is so very cool. God bless Mike Lindell. Thank him. Hope his abilities can still help us. He's amazing. Has an incredible story. Great show, Randy. Glad to hear Mike. I will. I imagine most conservatives are like I am now. I will not donate to the party. I will donate only to America First candidates. Yes, I've been hearing that a lot. And what you didn't hear from Kurt Schlichter in hour one. Town Hall columnist, Salem uh, radio host, uh, lawyer extraordinaire. What you didn't hear from him is, I'm pulling out of the party. No, you still got to go to war with the warriors that you got. And uh, I didn't hear that or get any sense of that from Mike Lindell. And I can't imagine we're going to get any sense of that from Harmeet Dillon. If you were with us last hour, I played a few minutes of Ronna McDaniel, an interview that she gave after her victory, and she said she's going to reach out to Harmeet. She's going to reach out to Mike Lindell. She wants to go on a grassroots tour to clarify some misinformation. People have got it in their minds, some things that she says are simply not true, and she's going to go to work to fix it. We expect her to do that. We shall see. What I want to do now, and we may not finish all of this audio because we're going to pause in about uh, nine or ten minutes to take a break so we can bring Harmeet Dillon on. Uh, but this Pfizer story is absolutely unbelievable. And since time is short, I think if you just listen carefully, you'll get this figured out. Pfizer ultimately is thinking about mutating COVID? Well, that is not what we say to the public. No, don't tell anyone this story. You probably shouldn't tell anyone. You probably shouldn't tell anyone. We're exploring, like, no, you know how the virus keeps mutating? Yeah. Well, one of the things we're exploring is, like, why don't we just mutate it ourselves so we can preemptively develop new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, though, there's a risk of, like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating fucking viruses. be, like, very controlled to make sure that this virus that you mutate doesn't create something that, like, you know, goes everywhere. Something crazy. Is the way that the virus started in Wuhan. To be honest, like it's, it makes no sense that this virus popped out of nowhere. Like, yeah, I know. Meet Jordan Tristan Walker, a director of research and development strategic operations and mRNA scientific planning at Pfizer. It sounds like gain of function to me. I don't know. It's a little bit different. I think it's different. It's like this. It's definitely not gain of function. It sounds like it is. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. So directed evolution is very different. Yeah. Well, you're not supposed to do gain of function research of the viruses. Like, yeah. They recommend not. But you do, like, these, like, selected directional mutations to try to see if you can make more potent. Yeah. So there, there is research I'm learning about that. I don't know how that's going to work. There might not be any more outbreaks. Just like Jesus Christ. Just imagine this dude, Jordan Tristan Walker, Pfizer Director of Research and Development, Strategic Operations, and MRNA Scientific Planning. He's out on a date. He's out on a date. And so he is, and he must think this guy that he's with is pretty cute because uh, he is running his mouth. He is showing off like a big red dog. The gentleman. Oh, let me just lay this out. This is Dr. Robert Malone, who did some commentary on this interview, this undercover interview of Jordan Tristan Walker. The gentleman seems to have absolutely no moral compass at all. I've been revolving door for all government officials. 
It's pretty good for the industry, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad for everyone else in America. Why is it bad for everybody else? Because if the regulators have to approve our drugs, know that once they stop being a regulator, they want to go work for the company, they're not going to be as hard for the company. They're hearing as well. If this is the quality of individuals within Pfizer that are making these huge decisions that uh, risk global public health, it's profoundly corrupt. Oh, yeah. And who's Dr. Robert Malone, the patent holder for our mRNA technology, who came out early on when Pfizer and others were turning these into to shots, clot shots, that we call them now, treatments, they say, for COVID-19. Oh, if you take this, it'll keep you from getting the virus. Well, it won't keep you from getting the virus, but if you get the virus, you won't get as sick. Well, you may get really, really sick, but it'll keep you from getting the virus again. Well, you may get the virus again, but it'll be less serious. Oh, wait a minute. We just found out that if you've had the virus and you take our shots, you're more likely to be giving off spike proteins that will get into other people's systems and screw up their bodies as well and make it easier for them to get COVID. And oh, by the way, you're more susceptible to COVID now. On and on and on. But this guy, this director of research and development, strategic operations and MRNA scientific planning, he continued. And by the way, there's about 10 minutes of this. We're not going to play it all. I just want you to get a taste. What is Pfizer doing, I guess, to optimize, you know, the vaccines now? Oh. We actually have a meeting about that today, so there's a lot. Really? They're doing... Uh, I don't know if I should say this. <laughs> <laughs> Our undercover journalist asked Walker how Pfizer is handling the fact that their COVID vaccines are ineffective against virus variants. What he said is disturbing. Listen to this. By the way, that's James O'Keefe. Like, no, you know how the virus keeps mutating? Yeah. Well, one of the things we're exploring is, like, why don't we just mutate it ourselves so we can develop new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, though, there's a risk of, like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating fucking viruses. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. we're like, do we want to do this? <laughs> so that's, like, one of the things we're considering. Okay. Like, the future, like, maybe we can, like, create new versions of the vaccines and things like that. Okay, so Pfizer ultimately is thinking about about mutating COVID? Well, that is not what we say to the public. No. That's why it was, like, it was a thought that came up in a meeting, and we were like, why, why do we not? It was like, we're going to consider that with more discussions. Okay. Not exactly, actually, right? We're like, wait a minute. Like, people won't like that. Several times during this date, Jordan Tristan Walker tells his, his uh, future beloved, <laughs> it didn't work out so well, um, but you can't tell anybody this. You can't tell anybody what I'm saying, okay? You promise you can't tell anybody this. That's right. It appears that Pfizer is internally discussing the possibility of mutating the COVID virus themselves in order to tailor a vaccine to sell to the public. Listen to Walker describe in detail just how they would conduct such a scientific experiment. First, in living animals. So the way that we're thinking about it, don't tell anyone this. You got publish, don't tell anyone. You got publish, don't tell anyone. So um, the way we work is like we put them in the virus in these monkeys. Okay. And then we successively like cause them to keep infecting each other. And we collect serial samples from them. And then the ones that are more infectious, like the virus, we'll put them in another monkey and just constantly actively mutate it. That's one way. Okay. Or you can even do like directed like simulation, which like we 
Dutchman Aquifer, and then you just sample what the different like um, like uh, proteins on the surface of the virus look like over time. Okay. So then you can see the mutation, and you can kind of force it to mutate in a certain way you want. Okay. But you have to be like very controlled to make sure that this virus that you mutate doesn't create something that, like you know it goes everywhere. Something Which crazy. I suspect is the way that the virus started in Wuhan. To be honest, like it's, it makes no sense that this virus popped out of nowhere. Like yeah, I know. We're gonna mutate the virus. We try it. Uh, we infect live monkeys, and then we get the worst ones and allow them to affect infect each other, and then experiment to see what works and what doesn't. And he's just—he's so excited about it. This, this is the secret. This is what's going on behind the scenes. And uh, I understand Pfizer released a response to this on Friday. I was able to scan it. Didn't really have time to read it through. And there's nine or ten minutes of that out there. It's very easy to find. Just go to Project Veritas website or find them on their social media. But before we go to our break, and Harmeet Dillon will join us on the other side, you've got to hear what happened when this young man, Jordan Tristan Walker, found out the truth about his hot date. Hey there. Is this seat taken? You work for Pfizer. My question for you is why does Pfizer want to hide from the public the fact that they're mutating the COVID virus is this real life? I'm literally a yeah. liar. What I was trying to impress a person on a date. What's your question? Why? This please, is please, absurd. Please don't touch me. Well, this is not. Why the way? Why don't, are you doing Don't this? tell anybody. Who's just working at a company to literally help the public? You f off. You really did. Please read the cost. It's just about to be very unsafe. Can you please unlock your door? No, you, no, don't let them leave. Please unlock the door. Get in the way. Don't look at this stuff. Please unlock. Please unlock the door. Please unlock the door. Unlock the door. We're trying to get. Unlock the door. Unlock the door. It's extraordinary. Chairs flying. People getting shoved to the ground, and he lurches for the iPad that was recording his conversation smashes it into the ground as though somehow that's going to get rid of the interview. And did you hear him? I was trying to impress somebody on a date. I was lying. I, he is, I guess he's been scrubbed from their website and uh, has certainly gone undercover. So that is a story that we have to pursue. Maybe we can talk more about it on the other side, but right now let's take a pause so we can come back, spend a nice little chunk of time with my friend, Harmeet Dillon, and get her thoughts looking back on the effort, unsuccessful effort, to dethrone Ronna McDaniel from the Republican National Committee. She's next here on 710 KNUS. We're back at 724, final hour of the show. So good to have you here back in mighty chilly Colorado after a very pleasant but uh, unsuccessful week in Dana Point where we were working so hard to try and Bring what you, the people, have made very clear you want, and that was a change at the top of the RNC. And so we're going to continue that conversation in just a second. Do want to update you, though. Uh, just got information and uh, been texting with Benghazi war hero John Tig Tigan, who uh, has announced that he is going to run to become the mayor of Colorado Springs, which is pretty cool. Apparently, the left is already gathering their forces and trying to throw him off the ballot. But he will be having a meet and greet, his first, on Thursday, February 2nd, 630 to 830 at DCF Guns in Colorado Springs. That's Thursday, 630 to 830. Tig Tigan running for mayor of Colorado Springs. 
Um, he's a good friend. We will get him on the show next Saturday to talk more about that, but I imagine he would love all the support in the world. And if you're driving or don't have a, an opportunity to write that down, just reach out to me later. Text to to the studio at 710KNUS. Write me at rbcforcolorado at gmail.com, and we'll get you that information. We obviously want to support one of our true heroes, our very own John Tig Tigan. But right now, so excited to bring back for you Harmy Dillon, who was so generous with her time here on the show. And, uh, man, just threw so much into her efforts to heed the voice of the people and try and make a difference, push back, and replace Ronna McDaniel at the top of the RNC. We had the vote on Friday morning. It didn't turn out the way we wanted. Uh, her meet's not going anywhere, but I thought it'd be great to just check in with her, see what you're thinking and how you're feeling today. Harmeet, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Randy. Betcha. So it was, I have to say, I was I was surprised that the vote wasn't closer. Uh, I really thought, Ronna had announced early on, she had about 100, uh, 101 uh, firmly in her camp, and we all believed that some of those folks would move. Some would perhaps even lie. It's a secret ballot. Um, but it, she actually seemed to, in, she did increase that number to 111. Um, how do you explain it? What do you think? Well, there was some turnover in members. Um, you know, she picked up a couple of the new chairs, some publicly, some privately. And so it wasn't exactly the same list at the end of the day, because I know I have some publicly announced folks who were uh, originally on her list who came over to our side, and I'm really confident they voted for us. But yeah, you're right. Some people lie. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there were some, you know, frankly, aggressive whipping efforts done by folks from President Trump's campaign. They deny it publicly, but I've seen them in the halls meeting with members, and I think that had an impact on some members. Um, there was a lot of last-minute horse trading, I am told. Of course, I'm, nothing was offered to me. And, uh, you know, this is how party elections go, particularly when you have closed ballots and there's a little bit, there's a lack of accountability. So uh, I'm not making excuses at the end of the day. A majority, a significant majority of members of the Republican National Committee sent the, sent the message to the people they represent that everything is good at the RNC. And uh, those like you who, who did come out and publicly announced they were going to support me, um, you know, at the end, you sent the message that, it's, that, that changes are needed. And, and I sent that message and a good portion of the RNC sent that message. And so I think the proof is going to be in the pudding. Were you right and I right, or were the others right? Well, we will see. Well, absolutely. And uh, two things. One, the the secret ballot. You've been in, involved in Republican politics a lot longer than I have. You've been on the RNC longer than I have as well. Is there any purpose to keeping this a secret ballot except to allow people to simply lie to your face or, or uh, you know, misrepresent to their constituents? Why shouldn't these be public announced votes? Well, you have no argument for me. Uh, we could see very clearly in Congress uh, in the recent leadership race who supported whom, and people are held accountable for that. And here, I know I have people who said to my face afterwards that they voted for me, but the numbers don't add up. And so uh, now I don't trust a lot of people. And, uh, you know, it is what it is, but of course I sure. don't win. But. Uh, on the other hand, what about the millions? This isn't about me. What about the yes. millions of, of people who are represented here? 
I literally have had thousands of Americans in the last 24 hours reach out to me asking me, how did my, how did my uh, representatives vote? I said, you got to ask them. It's a secret ballot. Even if they told me to my face they were going to vote for me, I wouldn't necessarily believe it for some of these folks. And they say, I can't get a hold of these people. They, they're not responsive to us. Mm. They hate hearing from us. All I can do is leave a message. Some of them have contempt for us. I mean, these are just things I'm saying coming back from people. Sure. But most members are... Most members are not like that, but I suspect the sheer volume of communications folks are getting right now is going to make it impossible for most members to respond. And so they'll never know how their members voted, but, but some were out public and, and, uh, you know, there's some leadership races in the, in the country today. We had a vote for chair in Maine. We had a vote for chair in, in, in New Hampshire. Uh, the, the, the main chair, who's one of our members of the RNC until today, lost her election, um, Demi Kazunas. So I, I don't know whether this race had anything to do with it, but she was an open supporter of Ronald. Yeah. There, uh, there was a you know race for chair in New Hampshire, and our, our colleague Chris Ager got, went from national committee man to chairman. Um, he, he was not a public endorser of our current chair. He, he, he stayed publicly uh, uncommitted. And so now people in New Hampshire can ask him how he voted. Sure. I, I have a hunch, but uh, I think it's for him to say. So, so anyway, these are these are the things. Elections have consequences. So now there can't be consequences, Randy, if people don't know. So if I were a voter in a state, I would and I cared about this issue. I would ask these members before they came up for me for election point blank. What's your opinion? How did you vote? Was it all good at the RNC? Some people are open about it. Don Tracy, the chair in Illinois, gave an interview to the local newspaper after the vote saying, I think everything is great at the RNC. It's good. He deserved a fourth term. Mm. So, you know, there'll be some clues out there. Yeah. Well, tell me if this analysis is anywhere close to correct. You know, when I got on the RNC, just watching votes, getting to know some of the people, listening to them talk, the people who were opposed to Trump, who, you know, would get offended if you talked in any negative way about, you know, George W. Bush or just any of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I felt like grassroots people working their way into the RNC might have been around 20, 25 percent. Virtually a third of the committee voted to replace current leadership. And uh, and that, to me, is a significant gain in when you're trying to, you know, change the course of a Titanic. It's a very slow move. Uh, did we make progress? Do you think it's a good sign? What was interesting about this race, I mean, first of all, the entire national news media was there. And that means it captured the attention of the country that the RNC is having a debate about its future. So, you know, I, I got blamed for that. You know, Harmeet, it's going to be so hard for us to do X, Y, or Z. You brought all the scrutiny on us. I'm sorry, I'm not going to apologize for that one bit. We represent people in this country and we should be accountable to them. And that includes news media reporting. So I'm fine with it. I gave as many interviews as I humanly could. Um, I try to be gracious uh, and, and, and accurate, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I'm not afraid of the media and I think it's good. In terms of the progress that we made, what was really interesting as well was the coalition I put together included people from the full spectrum of the party. It included party chairs. It included grassroots recent additions to the party and included veterans of the party who are national committee men and women who've lived through prior elections. It included supporters of uh, President Trump. It included supporters of 
it included never Trumpers, uh, as we like to say. So it, it was a really broad based coalition. Um, I'm proud of that. And, and, um, you know, from the number of people coming up to me afterwards who did not vote for me, uh, who were, um, thanking me for forcing conversation at the party. Um, I feel like, I, I think there are factors out there that, you know, some people felt compelled to vote for the status quo for reasons other than their, their opinion that it was the best for the party. And I'll just leave it at that. So we got to continue this conversation. Harmy Dillon is with us, uh, fresh off the uh, election of re-election of Ronna McDaniel, chair of the RNC. I played in the first hour, a uh, few couple of minutes anyway, of an interview that Ronna McDaniel did after with, I think, a Fox News affiliate there in California, uh, where she said a couple of things. Um, she talked about the strong support she felt she had on the committee that the people who voted for her wanted to continue have consistency. Um, but she also said that uh, it was her goal and her intention to work with you, to work with Mike Lindell, uh, to call you up, to go on a grassroots tour to clear up you know, misinformation or misunderstandings about the RNC and that she would like you to be with her on that trip. Now, I know we're just, you know, everybody's recouping from the week, but um, ha- has she reached out or made any uh, any machinations in that direction toward you as of yet, or do you expect them? Well, colleagues of mine actually, you know, went up to her after the vote and said, you really need to, you know, make a make a gesture and work together. Uh, and her response was all about her hurt feelings. And so, I mean, I'm not sure she's really there, frankly, but who knows, by the time she had an interview today or yesterday, maybe she got there. But no, I haven't heard from her. Um, and I want to be very clear with your listeners. I have repeatedly worked with her over the last six years. I spent a year of my time uh, heading up an election integrity committee in 2019. I, I would say, you know, you and I are both lawyers. I spent a good you know, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in my billable time uh, on the road doing that for free for the RNC. And, uh, and, and you know, I can give a hundred other examples. So, like I gave at the office, uh, I'm not so sure about me going on a grassroots road show is the best use of my time. I'm a, I'm a you know, lawyer and my cause celeb has been election integrity efforts and we have no time to waste. But Look, if she asked me to do something, I've committed publicly to members and, you know, in front of the National News Corps and in a video I did online. I want to be helpful and make sure that the party unites around change. We have to get past this, the personal issues in this campaign. Uh, we have to work together. We don't have a choice. I mean, I, I, I frankly was willing to give up my law practice and my nonprofit because I thought it was so critical that we succeed in 2024. So. I'm certainly willing to do things short of that to make it happen. Yeah, you and your husband were going to going to leave sunny California and actually live in the swamp uh, while this thing was going on, at least until you got the office the hell out of there or got rid of that godforsaken building, right? Yeah, but uh, this is a major issue, and I didn't I didn't hear any leader of the party press the chair on it. You can't run any organization for long on an absentee basis, and it isn't being run well. And there's no reason at this point in time why the you know, chair whose kids are in, going off to college or in college can't live in D.C. I mean, of course, kids may have some family commitments or what have you, but I just don't see it. And, you know, I, I, that's, that's got to be critical going forward. Whoever the next chair is needs to commit to hands-on management, whatever that looks like for them. Um, 
you know, what we hear is, oh, this job is all about fundraising. Well, fundraising is necessary, but not sufficient. Uh, and so you can't just fundraise and then blow all the money on stuff that doesn't win elections and also not do the management and the constructive changes that are needed. In 12 years at the RNC, since the last leadership race, I was, I was the one after 12 years, there's been no changes to the organization in the sense of how things are organized. You know, I recommended the formation of an election operations department that's equal to political, legal, um, digital communications and all these other important departments of the party. And so you know, everybody in the party has seen my list of proposed changes. And so it would be, a, I would suggest if I were an advisor to her, I would look at that and say, what are some of these things that I can agree to? They're not, these are good ideas. These are not crazy. These are actually constructive. Maybe we should do some of them. Maybe that would help gain trust amongst the third of this committee and the 10 states where they took votes and the hundreds of counties in the country where they had conversations about this and took votes to support change that that bridge building and trust building needs to be done but if if this election is seen as well i'm happy that members thought i'm doing a great job i'm going to keep on doing the same thing if that's what we see we're heading for a fall in this party everything is not all right well, Rana has certainly promised and said that there, you know, a message was delivered and that uh, change is coming. But, the, you know, it's awfully easy to say. A uh, couple last things. I know uh, you've got to be just it must be so nice to be having some downtime. And thanks very much for taking some Saturday night away from your time with your husband to spend with us. Um, Mike Lindell has been heard saying things about, for instance, he spoke with you and, and he said the, the problem with a leadership position under you is there wouldn't be enough focus on election integrity. And he talked about Arizona, uh, that you didn't think that those lawsuits there would be successful. You are a Supreme Court caliber winning election and civil rights attorney. So I wondered if you'd take just a minute and comment on, on, uh, any of those opinions from Mike Lindell and uh, and what's going on in Arizona. So I first want to say I tremendously appreciate Mike Lindell's generosity in, you know, investing in so many different good causes that include recently election integrity litigation. And I think he, he and I have some fundamental disagreements about how you solve the problems of confidence and the actual problems of how elections are run in this country. I don't think anyone can claim I'm anything other than deeply committed to fixing the problem, but different people who are patriots can disagree about the approach. You're correct. I'm a lawyer and you can have the best facts in the world. And I carefully explained this to Mike and others. We had good facts in Arizona in terms of, we had bad facts, I should say, because the election was terrible. The election was poorly run. There was a complete lack of consideration of training people correctly or making sure the machines worked with the ballots that were being printed on site in vote centers. The machines worked fine on pre-printed mail ballots. This is a critical fact. If everybody in Arizona had voted on a mail ballot, I'm not saying this was ever going to happen, but if all the Republicans had voted on mail ballots and voted early, I believe Carrie Lake would have won that election. But that's not what happened. And so, so how you fix that? Arizona law makes it virtually impossible to win the type of claim that Carrie's lawyers who used evidence that my team put together half a dozen lawyers at my firm worked on the case. It's difficult. It's difficult to win a case that requires you to prove intent. 
intent on the part of specific election officials to throw the outcome of the election in a different direction. We have to identify specific voters whose votes were altered by material defects in the election. And putting those things together, is those are virtually insuperable hurdles. And so Arizona law needs to change. Arizona law needs to not allow the Secretary of State to ever preside over an election where she's a candidate. Not just a candidate for Secretary of State, but a candidate for any race. And Maricopa County should be sued for violating the civil rights of the Americans who voted there. They should have been sued two years ago because they had snafus of a different nature, but equal scale of problems in the 2020 election. So there's a way to go about doing this. And I'm going to tell you as an election lawyer, no matter how good your facts are, if you didn't take action to clean up obvious defects in advance, it is virtually impossible to win an election litigation case. We saw that with President Trump. We saw it with Kerry Lake. And we've seen it in other cases. And the problem is, Republicans don't staff up and invest sufficiently in advance. So if I had the chairman's gavel right now, I would already on my Saturday, being tired, be formulating ways to start suing those states now that we need to win in in 2024. And if we don't, we won't win. I'm going to give it to you right now. 100%. And maybe the 56 of us who did not vote for Ronna McDaniel can uh, stay aligned. And then some of the folks who came over and said, hey, I didn't vote for you, but thank you and, and trust your instincts and your knowledge on this most critical issue to future election success. Uh, maybe we can keep that pressure on. I Unfortunately, once the elections are over and the meetings, you know, only happen three times a year, typically, um, I'm not yet sure how to wield that kind of influence, but maybe we can keep our heads together, get the right people, the right resources, the right donors who have leverage and uh, and force that to happen because it is critical if we're going to have success. We have tremendous opportunity in 2024, but we've got to get the election process right. Last thing, a lighter note before you go. Um, I was still inside voting and, and uh, doing other things on my computer uh, so I was not out in the hall after the election, uh, re-election of Ronna McDaniel. You went out and had the biggest press gaggle I've ever seen at an RNC meeting. Just you standing alone, and, and the picture I saw of it, uh, just it looked like a mass of media. What did you tell them? How did that all come together the way it did so quickly? Well, there was already a lot of news media there. And, you know, for many years now, I've been a pretty prominent figure in giving conservative commentary. And so both the California Press Corps, but the National Press Corps was all there because maybe it's the slow news day or something. I don't know. But they were there at our meeting throughout. And so when they learned that I was prepared to give a short statement outside, they all, you know, left the room and went outside. And I just winged it. I had no prepared statement or anything. I had already, you know, put out a short two paragraph statement that I dictated on the phone in the hallway outside and, you know, got it done as soon as I lost. Uh, and then my team put it out. And I just told them, I said, you guys probably are wondering what I'm thinking. So let me tell you. I, and I said, you know, I ran for these reasons. And I feel like I heard the grassroots of my party. I represent 5 million almost people here in California. And I ran because they needed me to run. And then I heard from millions of others around the country that they needed change as well. And I stood up for them. We didn't win this time, but I am not going anywhere. I intend to stay. I have two years left on my term, and if uh, they will have me here at the RNC participating in some way, 
I will be here to support what we do because what's at stake is the future of this country, not just our party. And the future of this country demands a party that is prepared to fight for our fundamental rights. And and then they asked me some you know questions. Why you know why was the margin this? What do you think? And I've said, hey, quite frankly, we've had a three day pep rally for the chair. Uh, every every meal function, every uh, presentation was 95% about her reelection. And, you know, that's helpful. If you're the chair, you can control the whole messaging here. It's a little unfair to anybody else, but life is unfair. Next question. You know, so, I mean, they asked me straightforward questions that were, you know, aimed at, at, at performance and I answered them as best I could. So I let, I think I, I answered questions from every reporter, or, you know, every side in the sense of I'm not afraid to take questions from also media. And I did when I saw Mike Lindell out of the corner of my eye, I insisted that they, you know, give him some time as well. And so I, I, I took two more questions once I saw Mike show up and I, I let them ask him questions as well. So, so, you know, I believe in transparency. I'm very confident going in front of the news media and addressing questions. I think the public deserves that. And I think we're never going to convert people over to our side if we can limit ourselves to conservative media so you know yeah some, i mean i even have neighbors here at my, my 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 place in sonoma who are democrats they were watching it with great interest and you know they they texted me afterwards the story was all over the national news cnn and all over the world and that's because you know, one candidate is prepared to talk to the hostile press so in that sense we got more transparency and sunlight on the rnc and i'm proud of that yeah, there was tremendous exposure, a tremendous participation from the people that we are uh, put in this pos- these positions to represent. I thought it was a, a net plus in so many ways, and uh, your performance was truly spectacular. And so uh, thanks again for your time. I'll just uh, leave you with this. A uh, couple of, <laughs> of hits from listeners. Damn, Harmeet is so impressive. And thank you for the conversation with Harmeet. Excellent. Um, and remember, it's going to be an open seat in two years. That's what she says. That's what she <laughs> well, said two years ago, too. So we'll see. <laughs> very good point. It's a damn good paying job, at least with her in it. So, all right, yeah. Army. Well, get, uh, thank your husband for sharing. It was such a pleasure to talk with him a little bit and uh, uh, get some I good will. get some I good rest. And I know you're I know you're nonstop. So uh, take some time, and we'll see you on the fight out on the fight. Thank you. God bless Thanks you. Thanks a lot, Randy. You Har- too. Take Har- care. Har- Goodbye. Dillon. You bet. Thank you. Harmy Dillon, and uh, we better get to our break, or we're just going to flat run out of show. So stay with us. We'll wrap it up on the other side. You're listening to Seven Ten KNUS. One of those songs I just love. Hey, we've got enough time for this. I I think it's legal. But uh, Tig Tigan sent me his campaign message, and I think I can play it for you right here off of my phone. We will get him on next Saturday for sure. He's having a meet and greet. Benghazi war hero John Tig Tigan for Colorado Springs Mayor, February 2nd, 630 to 830 at DCF Guns, the one down in Colorado Springs. Let's see how this, uh uh-oh, I just killed it. There we go. See how this goes. Good job there, Randy. You should never try and do these things live, but heck, it's late. Tigan, and I'm your next mayor for Colorado Springs. Waiting for others to initiate change will only delay the imminent and compounding necessity. We the people must stand up and come together to preserve our city. 
It will take honor, courage, and commitment to stand up united for the community against unconstitutional laws, regulations, and mandates. I am not a politician making a living on tax dollars while ignoring the community's needs. I am here to take away the control of a few select departments and bring true power back to the people. Power to the community on how the city is governed and protected, how the tax dollars are spent, and power for you to decide what is best for you and your family. I am not here to do this alone. I am here asking that we stand up and do this together as a community. Politicians over the last several decades have been trying to do things alone to force their view and sometimes for personal gain. My objective is that we all unite to make the change and bring our city together, discovering true solutions to the public's concerns instead of sugarcoating or creating a makeshift response to the root cause. It's time for the people to take back control of the government instead of the government in control of the people to establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessing of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. I'm John Tig Tigan, and I approve this message. Well, I've got to say, the video is, I watched that while it was playing, and it's pretty impressive. Uh, nice pictures of Tig walking with his service dog and his young daughter and son. And uh, very interesting. We will be talking about that next Saturday, absolutely 100% for sure, and try and get Tig Tegan, Tig Tigan on to join us as well. Seems like a great idea. We had some other audio I wanted to play for you. This one I just think was such a classic. We're seeing almost 11 jobs created under this president. Yeah. And then uh, this is one I should add to the must-hear I remember going over convincing our team, our others, to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over, I guess, the 12th, 13th time to Kiev, and, uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to press conference. Said, "No, nah. I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I said, "You're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here." And I think it was what six hours. I looked. I said, "I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money." Well, son of a, <laughs> got fired, son and they put in place someone who was solid. At the time, something they accused and then impeached Donald Trump of doing. Joe Biden actually bragged about back when he could complete full sentences. And, of course, the mainstream media had no interest in that whatsoever. If you missed this one, this is this is great news for America. We're seeing almost 11 jobs created under this president. What? We're seeing almost 11 jobs created she, under this president. She really did say that. Corinne Jean-Pierre, she, uh, that is not edited in any way. Um, I, it's, well, one more time. We're seeing almost 11 jobs created under this president. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, good to be back in Colorado. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Love the texts. Love the calls. Everything that you do makes a difference for me. And, uh, and it was my honor to go out and try and be your voice in Dana Point, California. If you missed any of the first hour, any of the first hours, we had Kurt Schlichter on for hour one. Podcast will be up very quickly, knowing Luis Gonzalez, amazing producer for our show. Mike 
Lindell joined us in hour two. And, of course, we had uh, the world record holder or soon-to-be world record marathon runner as well. And, uh, and then Harmeet Dillon. What a spectacular interview with that fine lady. That's it. It's going to get cold. Stay warm. Always remember, never forget, I'm Randy Corcoran. God loves you. So do I. And nothing is more important than this. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. The double champ does what the f*** he wants. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.